the Askell Primary Leaders Podcast with Tiff Harris. Hello everyone and welcome to another primary podcast and today I'm joined by a colleague and a friend and I'm very very excited to pin him down and get some time out of him today. So this is Rob Robson and he is our trust consultant at Askell and um, he's going to do be talking, do most of the talking very shortly. But just to remind you that we have other podcasts on the system and look out for them. There are probably about one a month. And today we are going to focus on trusts and primary trusts and what the future of that looks like. So, Rob, hello. Hi, Tiff. Thanks very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. I'm usually on the other side recording other people doing. Uh, uh, and you're going to plug that later, I hope. So we'll, yes, uh, we'll come to the plug. We're doing each other a, a bit of a favour here, but it's, I think it's, it's absolutely great to pin you down because you know that uh, everyone will know that because of the pandemic, we've not really caught up very much. So it's lovely just to hear your background and your story. So this is great for me too. So thank you very much for your time today. I'm going to start with the first question and I just want you to give us your context, your, your background, your career history. I'd just like to know a little bit about you. If you could start with that, please. Okay, thanks, Tiff. Yeah, my career history is a bit of an odd one. Um, and it's not one I probably recommend to a lot of people. Um, and I very much doubt it's one that actually a lot of people <laughs> followed either. Um, really quickly, I, I started as a teacher because I fell into it. Um, now, that's not the bit that's unusual. I suspect a fair few of us have done that. Um, I was originally supposed to be joining the, the Navy, but um, an injury prevented me from doing that. So uh, I, I ended up in a job that I utterly hated in London, um, being miserable. And I decided to do the, the thing that very, uh, lots of young people do, which is to go and find myself by traveling the world. Um, so I started to try and save some money. Uh, and in fact, my mother, bizarrely, um, was a teacher. And uh, therefore, it was something, of course, I was never going to do because of that. Um, but she uh, was working at a school at the time and they were absolutely desperate uh, for somebody to cover a class very temporarily while they found a proper teacher. Um, and she suggested that I did it. Uh, so I, I started by just really covering a class and I just loved it. I really, really loved it. I thought it was just the best job in the world. And I just wanted to carry on doing it and find out how I could get trained. And so I got trained by something called Route B, which doesn't exist. I was the last person in England through Route B. I think they took one look at me and then closed it afterwards. But uh, that's that's what brought me to be a, a fully qualified teacher. And from there, um, I actually started uh, in a middle school. So I started with years five and six. So I have a great fondness and a great admiration uh, for primary uh, colleagues. Even though I went down the secondary route later on, I, uh, I, I look back at that time with real, real fondness and, uh, and, and as I say, real admiration for anybody who does teach um, uh, those younger years. Um, I then uh, became uh, head of department at a different school, a head of year as well. Um, uh, I learned uh, to really enjoy teaching um, the, the full range. And uh, I'm one of the few teachers probably that's taught from year five through to sixth form. Um, I really enjoyed it, absolutely loved it. Um, I then became an advanced skills teacher, if you remember those. 
um, I was seconded as part of that um, to Cambridge University um, uh, and their school improvement. Um, it was actually the Institute of Education at Cambridge in those days. Um, and I worked down in Hertfordshire on a school improvement project, which was uh, a really super project, really enjoyed it. Um, and during that time, my ego got the better of me because one of the schools that we were working with, the head teacher left and the uh, governing body asked me to apply for the job. As I say, my ego got the better of me. I did apply for it and I got it. So that was my first headship down in Hertfordshire. I spent five very happy years down there. Um, it was a school that needed uh, a, a lot of turning around. Um, I, I got them part of the way through the journey, but my son, during my time there, uh, sat me down one day and he said, it's, we're really proud of you. He was aged about nine, really proud of you being ahead. And I thought, oh, this is lovely. And he said, but it'd be also lovely if we saw you a bit more um, because I was actually traveling an hour and a half to two hours each way uh, and obviously getting back late at night and so on. Um, and I decided to move to a, a, a apply for a headship that was closer. And so my second headship was uh, a 40 minute commute, which is, I think, okay, yeah. about right for a commute. Um, and I did that um, uh, for 10 years. So I spent 15 years as a head. During my time uh, in my second school, uh, I it was a rural school, big rural school, 1700 by the time uh, I left there. And we wanted to um, think about how we could work closely with our community. Um, and multi-academy trust became a thing back in 2011 and we jumped on that and just thought this is the way that we could become a, a close community and we had a, a, a an idea that if a parent put their child in at the age of five and could see the curriculum journey all the way through and could see the you know all the different things that could be available uh, from the various different schools in that model um, that that would be a really good thing so that's what we started the multi-academy trust on and it really was the wild west <laughs> <That time> the <laughs> I work closely with my colleagues in the DfE I really enjoy working with them and I admire their knowledge but the knowledge of the system in those days was just non-existent um, so you ended up doing really weird things like we I wrote the articles <laughs> with a solicitor um, and uh, we uh, you know we, we had a joint leadership model which turned out to be tricky etc 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 but uh, yeah the, the the concept was right the concept was really right and it's still what I, I firmly believe that multi-academy trust should be is is you know, collections of schools in a locality really closely working together so that they get that um, curriculum journey right. Um, and the reason I stopped, um, sadly, was a health problem, actually. Um, I'd, uh, I was born with a, a heart problem and I'd had three heart operations. Um, by the time the surgeon said to me, he <laughs> was a very straightforward surgeon, he said, look, you've got a choice. I, I either see you in two years' time or you find something else to do because this, this is causing the problem so I'm, I made the decision to stop um, and it was a really hard decision and I, I still miss both headship and I miss the CEO and I miss the classroom actually as well because I was um, a, a, a very indulgent head teacher self-indulgent head teacher and I, I taught all the way through as well so uh, yeah um, so I then started my my latest iteration which is a consultant and so I work for Askell I work for other organizations as well as a, as a consultant I'm a freelancer um, it is such a privilege I can't tell you how much a privilege I wish I'd done it before headship actually <laughs> it's such 
a privilege to be able to go and talk to so many different leaders in the school system and just see the amazing work that they're doing in the system as well so that that's that's a thrill it really is actually and uh yeah so i i'm yeah Yeah. so that's that's my background quite Um, long-winded sorry for anybody listening um it's a privilege to work with rob and if you if you've not heard of Rob before I, I wonder where you've been but if you haven't checked out Rob on our on our website and the work that he's doing with Askell he is such a font of knowledge he's just a wonderful person as well so I really do encourage anyone to uh, to to follow him and we'll give you some more information about that later but it's been lovely to, to hear your background um, and, and, and such a great story and um, interestingly the whole idea behind these podcasts is my commute used to be about 35 minutes so the idea behind the podcast is that you know this is something that our members can download and, and listen to as they travel to and from work if they wanted to they may not they may do it when they're jogging around the block or uh, doing the ironing or anything you know but I, I urge you to listen to as many of these as, as you can okay let's go on to um, some of the a little bit more serious side of this um of, of this podcast now and there's two questions and I've, I've given these questions in advance to rob so he he can update our um our our members who are listening to this right now and the first part of the question is the direction of travel for trusts um, and the information that, that rob knows for the future and then the next one is the biggest trust related issues affecting primaries at the moment and the reason I've given those two questions together is because there's probably a little bit of overlap there so um so so it's it's direction of travel and then the biggest trust related trust related issues that are affecting primary schools at the moment so could you talk us through those um, questions give some answers to those Rob yeah of course um it's uh, the direction of travel it is one that's actually been stated by the government. I mean, back in April, they talked about families of schools, and that's that's the expression that's used at the moment. Um, by families of schools, the government undoubtedly mean multi-academy trusts. That's, that's what they mean by that. Um, and so the direction of travel is for, first of all, for as many schools as possible to be in multi-academy trusts. And that's what the government would really like the end state to look like. Okay. Now, there's no date on that, nor, as far as I know, will there be any legislation on that either. Okay. And and I've asked DFE colleagues several times about that, and there isn't an appetite to legislate on that. I think there were some lessons learned from 2016 when it looked as if it was going to be uh, some legislation that was going to come in uh, to control that. Having said that, Although there won't be direct legislation, I think what you will see is uh, a number of uh, powers taken by the DfE. Um, I think you'll probably see a number of changes, um, both to incentivise moving into multi-academy trusts and also perhaps some dissenters to stay in the the local authority maintained system um, as well. So the... We're just at a tipping point at the moment, actually. It's just over 50% of state-funded pupils are in an academy. And by the way, within academies, I'm going to include free schools, UTCs. There are all sorts of um, other studio schools are still around as well. And um, I 
I am certain that that is going to speed up once we get past COVID. And, you know, I don't, you know, we're, we're not past it yet. We're clearly not past it. And we may be in another, um, you know, partic particular point, which might be really difficult for the system okay. at the Just moment. Just pause you there, Rob, because we do have lots of questions from our primary members who are not okay. in trusts about, um, you know, whether they should join a trust and, mm. and, 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 and when. And there's a lot of, I, Am I fair? Is it fair to say there's a lot of fear behind that as well? Yeah, there is. Uh, there is. And it, it, it's been a, a source of probably frustration, actually, to the DFE that, that there is fear and they they do try and address that fear. Um, but but I do understand why primary colleagues are particularly worried. And just just to look at the um, uh, statistic for a second, you know, if you, if you look at the number of state funded pupils in in academies, it's 79% of, uh, of secondary schools, um, but it's only 38% of primary schools. So right. you can see that there's a, a considerable difference between uh, the two, even though the number of academies has grown really significantly. Um, you know, Do you know why that is? is the reason I, that I think uh, uh, t talking to primary colleagues, I think there are two reasons. I think there is a reason that there's a fear of being swallowed up. Um, uh, a, a lot of multi-academy trusts were originally set up by secondary schools or at least with a secondary school at the centre. So in some cases, there hasn't been the focus on primary schools that uh, they deserve or feel that they deserve. And the second is, particularly with small rural primary schools, I think there's been a fear of being seen as being uneconomic. Um, in in a multi academy trust and therefore you know perhaps being closed um, as as being part of that um, and those those fears are not unfounded um, at all um, but they are things that are being addressed by multi academy trusts now and I think they're being addressed in two ways one is um, that a lot of uh, multi academy trusts now have um, primary specialists who are are working across a number of primary schools I think there's been a uh, a, a real drive towards that, and I've seen a, a you know a lot more primary expertise coming into the central teams in lots of multi academy trusts. Um, and I, I think the other thing is uh, what's sometimes referred to as the triple or in some cases quadruple lock on uh, on on primary schools, which the DfE have been trying to get out there, but have not that successfully. Unfortunately, There's still a lot of primary schools that don't know. So what I mean by that is that. Um, a primary school can only be closed if the the trust board, um, the uh, regional schools commissioner, the DfE, uh, or, and the local authority agree that that school is not needed. So the local authority, even if a school is in a trust, um, still have part of that decision. And the reason I mentioned the quadruple lock earlier is because uh, in church schools or in faith schools, there also has to be agreement from uh, the diocesan education office as well, the local one. So uh, it's you know the, the, there are there is a lot of protection around uh, primary schools, even even though on paper they sometimes seem uh, you know not very economic if you've got very few pupils in a rural area. Um, there there is still a need now uh, for those schools. <clears throat> so I. I I think as that knowledge gets out, I think as, as I say, um, academy trusts start to have a lot more primary expertise, um, perhaps we'll see more primary schools 
ha you know, having a reason to join a trust. And, and we've got to be honest as well. A lot of primary schools do very well with their local authority yeah. um, and, you know, their local authority supports them and has the expertise that they need. But, uh, yeah, we, I, I think the change will come. I was um, going to say that. Is, is the future trusts? It is. Uh, certainly with this government, we've heard nothing from the Labour government, uh, shadow, uh, sorry, um, offices that, that there'll be any change. And to be absolutely honest with you, Tiff, it would cost a fortune to change it back again. Right. You know, to, to, for every school to become a, a local authority maintained school again. Don't you, I, I can't imagine, A, how long it would take, B, how much disruption um, there would be and, and see how much that would cost. So I, I think just from a pragmatic point of view, yes. um, you know, I, I think they're here to stay. Um, and Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was going to say, and, it, and is that the and the trust related issues? I mean, there's two sides to this, isn't there? There's already those schools that are not not part of trusts. But what about those that are part of trusts? What, what issues are primary schools facing? Um, in the past, certainly, I would have said that they they were facing a a lack of expertise in some trusts, and not not in all. And and of course, there are plenty of primary trusts around um, as well. And uh, you know, I actually I, I think that they're some of the best trusts as well. I think you know, there's there's quite often quite large collections of uh, primary school. The Church of England's got a, a number of those now as well, um, because predominant. Uh, type of school in, in you know for the church of england is primary so they've they've uh same with the catholic education service too and, and we sometimes forget actually that between the church of england and the catholic education service that's a third of all schools you know they're they're a very big player um in in the uh in the schools uh i was going to use the word market and that's such a terrible word to use with schools arena let's use that word um but i i I think there has been, a, a, as I say, a, a real drive towards um, primary expertise now um, and trusts really working uh, across a number of primary schools. You think about things like Dominic Harrington, the, the National Schools Commissioner, what he's sort of saying about you know, what makes a great trust. And one of the things is that shared leadership, it's that those uh, shared teachers, that shared expertise. Those are the kinds of things that actually trusts can do, and they do them really, really well often too. Um, I think then there is beginning to happen as well, a, a, a shake-up of some trusts too. Some trusts that formed in 2016, and to be honest, haven't done a huge amount with that. Um, I think they're starting to be pushed now to, to do more um, and to contribute to the system. And, and I think the other big move, which I, I think is incredibly welcome as well, is as we move towards the end state of multi-academy trusts, um, there's a real emphasis on moving from autonomous mm. to collaborative trusts. Okay. So trust working together um, in a region rather than trust competing for um, schools or competing for pupils in a region, you know, really starting to work together. And I think if you we see anything in the spring white paper, we might start seeing some things about um, trust collaborating together um, and, and being collectively accountable and responsible for all of the children in an area. That's great. Thanks, Rob. Um, just on trusts, is there anything else that you want to share with our members that is policy related to trusts that we've not addressed already? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I could bore you for hours actually on this. <laughs> um, I, I, I think one of the things I'd, I'd like to, to just mention is, is um, multi-academy trust inspections, um, which have been on the cards for uh, a long time, but I don't think might be wrong, but I don't think that uh, we're going to see legislation around that anytime soon. I think there's a, a feeling at government level that schools are, have got enough accountability without introducing um, multi-academy trust inspections. Having said that, they will come, I think, at some point. Um, and we are certainly doing at Askell some work with both the DfE and Ofsted really thinking about um, how Ofsted can better recognise the contribution of multi-academy trusts to school improvement. You know, we, we've had one or two uh, anecdotes of some, uh, what I would call a lack of understanding from Ofsted um, on that, with one case where a CEO was actually not allowed to go and talk to the inspectors, which is a really odd reaction, um, given that that particular trust was undoubtedly at the centre of um, really trying to work hard, improve the school, put extra resources into it, etc. I think the other area um, is the use of funds. Um, and it, it most trusts still work with a percentage payment from a school, so 5%, you know, whatever it is, back to the, the central functions of a trust. Increasingly, what we're starting to see is more and more trusts exploring the idea of central funding. <clears throat> so all the funding being kept centrally and then uh, budgeting each school for what it needs, but also therefore keeping some capacity at the centre to be able to move quickly um, uh, to support schools where, where, where there are issues. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that some trusts now are starting to cross over local authority boundaries and of course what happens in that situation is you then end up with schools that are funded differently within a multi-academy trust so one ceo put it to me recently uh, saying you know, we've got to think about as a trust is it fair that a people in our trust just because they live in this location is worth more than a people that lives you know in a different location in our trust but they're part of the same trust they're part of the, all of you know our same values everything that, that uh, makes our trust um you know the thing that it is but we're saying that children are worth different amounts and i think that's a really interesting <clears throat> take on it and i think it's a very really interesting take for trustees in particular to have a think about and obviously ceos too great thanks rob um I always ask this question. This is the best job in the world, isn't it, teaching? Do you have an inspirational story or anything that you can tell? I don't want to finish on, on anything that is particularly negative. So tell us an inspirational story. Why, why have you done this job? Something like that. Um, <clears throat> I, I think I said at the beginning, I, I taught all the way through, actually, and teaching was and um, it still is the best part of the job. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. The bit I miss most, actually, um, and I used to, I used to love going into a classroom, teaching something and just seeing those light bulb moments, um, uh, seeing some, you know, something that was quite difficult to understand the difficult abstract concept or whatever it was. Um, and my degree is in um, psychology. So uh, I used to teach psychology uh, a lot and, and just seeing both the application of psychology, but also the theory of psychology and, and people getting a grip on that was, was wonderful. I think the, uh, 
I mentioned at the beginning, the, the, the joy of this job is, is talking to other people and seeing what they do. And I'm never, ever um, failed by going into a school. You know, I go into a school and every single time I go in, I think, oh, that's amazing. You know, there's something in every single school or every single trust where you just think, oh, that's really clever. And and I, I'm a bit like a kid at that point. So I, I, I want to come out and tell everybody about it. I was like, look what I've seen. You know, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, and that that's a real joy. It really is. And working with um, CEOs, as I do, working with heads, um, there is always uh, something that's, that's brilliant in every single one of their schools. And the other thing is my daughter has just started teaching in a special school, which is a real joy for me. Um, and um, she's uh, she's actually at home with us at the moment. She's um, wor working hard so she, <laughs> she can get away from us. I think. But she comes home every single day with an anecdote about uh, a child um, and it undoubtedly makes us laugh makes us smile um so that that's also that's a, a real Lovely joy a real joy i remember years ago um when i was ahead uh, and um the, uh, <clears throat> my reference who was ahead when i was ahead of department um said to me uh he said the, one of the best parts of the job is even if you feel really down as soon as you see your first child in the day that's the moment that will make you smile and make you realise that it was uh, all worthwhile. Sorry, just one other anecdote. I was just thinking about, I just remembered this. Um, when uh, he wrote my my reference for my first job, and I, I mentioned that I'd been an AST, but I hadn't actually been a deputy at that point. Um, he, he showed me the reference after I got the job um, where he put, Rob will either be an excellent head teacher or a complete disaster, and I can't work out which. <laughs> That's on your reference. That was That's on my reference. That's brilliant. <laughs> so I'm not sure which one I turned out to be, but it, it yeah, that occasionally makes me laugh as well yeah. uh, when I think about it. That's yeah. brilliant. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Um, and and I agree with Dia. The, uh, the first child that you see, it's, it does just brighten up your day, and and I miss that. I miss that too. Um, the next part of this is is what next, and it's under sort of three aspects for our listeners books that they could read, people that they could follow, and then the ASCAL side of things with the work that you do on trusts. What should our listeners do next if this is all very much uh, a, a brand new thing for them? Where should they go? What should they read? Who should they follow? What should they do next? I, I, I'm i a bit obsessed with reading, actually, because I, 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 um, I could sit and, you know, spout various different things that I've read um, but what what I would recommend doing um, is reading about leadership but reading about leadership outside education too. Um, and it's not for me that's not about saying oh that's that's a great idea I'll, I'll implement that it's about thinking how can I re what I've just read how could I contextualize that how yes. could I make some of this work in in education but also that's not going to work because it's commercial. Um, okay, and, and now I asked you this, Rob, because I, I, we're recording this, but we're actually recording this as a video that we're turning into um, a, an audio version. I can see hundreds of books behind you. Yeah. So I'm putting you on the spot here. But do you recommend, what's your favourite? I, I genuinely haven't got favourites. My favourite, okay. I have got a favourite author, actually, um, which is Charles Handy. 
Um, and Charles Handy just has just written so many brilliant things um, about, and he writes about the philosophy of leadership. Yeah. Um, and that, that that's something that really, really attracts me, actually. I think that's really interesting. I have just read um, something called No Rules Rules, um, which is by the founder of um, Netflix, uh, a guy called Reed Hastings. Um, uh, and it, it's fascinating. It, it, it's, it's such a different approach they have to, to the way that most companies work. Um, and yet they're one of the most successful companies in the world. And, you know, you, of course, you can look at Netflix and say, mm, actually, that's not very good or that's a bit dodgy or whatever. But they do have a very open and transparent way of doing things at Netflix. And uh, I was particularly taken by they, they have this rule, which is your loyalty is not to each other. Your loyalty is to the company. And therefore, if you see something that needs that you think should be improved, your your um, your duty is to say so, uh, and they have this very open um, way of feeding back. Apparently, where managers will say to each other, but they'll also say to people, "Can I give you some feedback on that?" Um, rather than waiting for a sort of formal appraisal process, etc. Et um, and Erin um, Meyer, who's the other the other author, who's a psychologist, she she talks about the fact that she went to do a, a um, a presentation um, for Netflix managers. And he, even before she got to the stage, uh, she talks about one of the managers saying, can I just give you some feedback on the email you sent out? I'm not sure it was that useful, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and gave the, sort of, the feedback. She said it was very, very disconcerting. She got feedback at the interval of a talk, and then she got some feedback at the end as well. Uh, and she said it, it takes a lot of getting used to, but that actually it's incredibly useful, you know, really, really useful, that sort of ongoing uh, feedback that helps you to improve as you're going yeah. along rather than waiting to the end. So, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that. I thought it was a really interesting book. Thanks, Rob. I have a bit of a, uh, I think it is a medical condition where any book that I've, I've not read, I, I write down and add to my long list of books that I want. <laughs> and I'm a bit of a, um, I, I'm, I'm obsessed by books. Uh, I'm, I'm worse than that, Tiff. <laughs> as soon as somebody mentions it, I just immediately order it on Amazon. So yeah, well, I've I, got, do, I would do. I've, I've got this enormous pile of books and, and stuff. That... I thought it'd be rude for me just to look down and start ordering on my phone whilst you're speaking. <laughs> but I have actually written them both down on my page. <laughs> um, yeah, book that I think you would enjoy a lot, Tiff, because you're a runner, and I know you are, um, is a book by Phil Knight called Shoe Dog, um, okay, which is about how he founded um, uh, Nike or Nike or however oh, God, uh, people yeah, yeah. pronounce that. Um, but it, it is it's a really interesting book and what a um, and how much he struggled and really struggled with the company uh, and and also the different um, mis he talks very, very openly and honestly about all the mistakes he made. Um, oh, along the way and yeah. that, that there are some really good points in I, that, I will so. definitely order order that one I, but you, I, you'll, like, you'll enjoy all the running just right. like you no I, I I am addicted to books I I order as soon as anybody says this is a recommended read I, I order it and I have so many unread books I need to get through that <laughs> I have often said to my family should anything happen to me and I need to move to the next world please please put me to rest with the books because I panic that <laughs> I, I'll need to haunt people because of the books that I've got that I've never had time to read so um so thank you that's another one to my uh, to my list so thank you very much Rob for that and um people to follow and the work that you're doing at Askell if they've not yet checked that out what should they do next I, I'm you know I'm going to talk about Twitter I guess a bit um I I try and curate my Twitter line um 
but but I try and curate it so it doesn't become an echo chamber. So I do follow a whole lot of people that I violently disagree with. <laughs> but, yes. but that's okay. You know, at least I I know what they're saying. Um, I sometimes miss out on the Twitter scandals, you know, the oh, I can't believe it that people have said yeah. that um, type stuff um, because I've, I've either muted somebody or I don't actually follow them or I've even unfollowed them. Um, but I do follow, um, you know, l lots of government ministers because uh, yes. I actually think it's important to hear what they're saying. I... Again, disagree with some of it. Um, same with the shadows uh, as well. Uh, I do follow um, the writers too. Mm -hmm. some of the um, you know, some of the people that are, are writing again, even though I might not agree with their philosophies yeah. and so on. So there's there's a fair number of um, university people on my uh, timeline as well. Um, and, and I follow loads of CEOs and head teachers and loads and loads of them. And, you know, it, it is that that's where I I sometimes get the, the feeling that something's happening, you know, um, at, at any uh, any one time. Uh, and then I, I, like all leaders, have a network of people that I can phone up and uh, find out from and saying, how is this affecting you? And, and also people that I support um, on that as well, because I do do a fair bit of coaching for CEOs and heads too. So it, it is important that I understand what's going on, which I don't just get from Twitter at all. Um, and, and I still make the effort wherever possible. Um, I think it's going to rapidly become impossible again, but to to um, go to schools and trusts and and actually see what's going on, um, because you know, ev everybody can say anything you like with words, um, but actually seeing it in action uh, is really good. So, uh, yeah, th th those are um, the main and, and you know, I I also make sure that it's on my Twitter that I I, I like sport and so on. So I okay. have a, a yeah. sports stuff on there too. Um, and yeah, lo lots on books like you. <laughs> um, thanks, thanks, Rob. And then your work with Askel. So how can they um, follow you? Yeah. Um. Well, I'm I'm on Twitter. Um. And I I retweet everything I think that Askel ever put out. Um. But that's partly no, it's entirely because I think. Askell's work is terrific. I mean, the reason that I, I wanted to work for Askell and do work for Askell is because I think Askell's work is really important. Um, do we always get it right? No. Um, but I think we get it right most of the time. Uh, I think we're really open and honest and transparent about what we do. So there's no agenda for um, Askell because we're there to work for our members. Uh, and I think we're really, really clear about that. And we're certainly clear with the DFE and um, like you I do a lot of work with the DFE um, and actually I have to say that most of the colleagues I work with the DFE I think are great I think they're really good you know some some of the stuff that they have to deal with I think is really difficult and some sometimes they don't make the right decisions but that's the, the same for anybody. So there is a distinction between colleagues at the DFE and the ministers that they are working yeah, with that's right. as I mean, well isn't there we know, need to remember that. We do yeah, I think you're absolutely yeah. right on that you know, <laughs> civil servants job is to carry out the wishes of ministers and, yeah. and ministers policy and sometimes you know, it doesn't matter whether they agree or disagree with it. They've they've got to get on and do it. Um, but yeah, most of the time I'm really impressed actually with uh, civil servants. So the the work of Askell, it's really important that we hear what members think. Um, and I've I've just written a um, 
newsletter I know you have as well um, that's going out and, and I've just reminded people of both the hotline for support because yes. I think that's really important yes. and it's really important that trust leaders don't think that the hotline is there for people in schools the hotline is there for all of our members including trust leaders um, and so I think that, that's a really important part of our school and the other one is the tell us um, box which is well used um, but that's another source of information for us that that email box that People just saying, look, this is happening in schools. Yes. And I know Which you we don't respond to just no, we don't. Benefit. We, we couldn't possibly have the time, but we do read every single one, don't we? We do. We do. And sometimes we will, you know, when we start to get a pattern emerging of, mm. of three, four, five, six emails about the same thing, also in some cases, 50 emails about the same thing, um, you know, it, it does make us look again and think again and find out a bit more as well. So that's, I think that's really important. Um, we have got a, a, a chance for me to advertise. We've got a conference in London on the 13th of January. Um, really pleased that Baroness Barron is going to be joining us at that. Um, yeah, it really is. And That's Dominic the 13th of January. 13th of book, January. They can book on that using the um, ASCO website. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, ASCO website. Um, we, we'd be delighted to see. It's it's both for trust leaders, but it's also for anybody who's interested in the strategic yeah. direction, etc. So, uh, yeah, come along. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be the first time actually that Baroness Baron uh, stands up. She's the sorry, I should have said she's the academy's um, and trust yes. minister. And I think it's going to be the first opportunity for her to actually stand up and, and um, to lay out some policy uh, or some thoughts and some direction too. So I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Um, the other. Uh, yeah, we, we do a Trust Askell po uh, podcast as well. Um, uh, and we we did Series 1. There are 10 of them up there uh, for Series 1. And Series 2 is uh, is happening at the moment. We've done the f first two, the third one I'm recording this afternoon, actually. Um, and it is a combination of all sorts of different people. There are Trust uh, primary leaders uh, on that. Um, that would be really helpful to some of our listeners, I think. Yeah, it really would, actually. So, um, yeah, I would really recommend that. Plus, we've put a couple of people from outside education um, yeah, on it as well. So really, really, really good. People. Thanks, Rob. We're nearly at the end. In fact, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're probably well past the end. But last question from me. Are you ready for Christmas? Do you have a favourite Christmas song? Not really ready yet. I'm I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not paranoid about Christmas, but we'll go out and buy a Christmas tree um, tomorrow. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think um, I, I don't wear Christmas jumpers because I'm six at six and they never fit me. Uh, so <laughs> I hope you get reference to your height. We uh, we met Rob for the first time in person because of the pandemic, and he's very very tall. So we use that line quite a lot, don't we? Very very tall. Yeah, I am very very tall. Um, actually, really quick anecdote on that: the first time I was ahead of year. Um, we had them all lining up in the uh, playground and there was a, uh, a young girl with Down syndrome um, as part of that uh, age group. Sally, still remember her name. And uh, I, I came round and, uh, you know, was impressively tall and they all went very quiet indeed. And uh, Sally, uh, who was standing at the front of one of the lines, just went, you're massive, really loud. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably our reaction when we saw you the first time just, in September. Of, the the entire age group dissolved. Yeah, uh, one laughter. of our colleagues, Sarah Ford, that you were tall, but we were not expecting that. Because so, um, <laughs> we only see your head and shoulders in our meetings, which is what I can see right now. So yeah. um, you're massive. You see Rob, then don't shout you're massive to him. Well, he has said that many times before. <laughs>
Um, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure as always talking to you. I hope our listeners have got a lot out of this with a lot of information that they can go back to. And um, I just urge you to follow Rob on Twitter as a good starting point. And if you get to Amazon before me and those books are not available anymore, then I'll be very, very cross. So um, <laughs> Rob Robson, thank you very much. I wish every listener a very Merry Christmas if you're listening to this before Christmas and a very wonderful 2022 if you're listening to this a little bit later on. Thank you very much, everybody. The Askell Primary Leaders Podcast with Tiff Harris.